We're at the... Well, we're almost at the start there. Uh, We're at the start of the October half term, which uh, for some is an opportunity to, to seek a break while there might still be sunshine and, and warmth before the, the darker, chillier days after the clocks change in about a week's time. The journeys to um, the various destinations will no doubt be interrupted by desperate pleas for an urgent stop at the services even though you've just left one. And also that other familiar cry of, are we there yet? And perhaps I'll hear some of that at some point tomorrow. The return journey is a bit different, though. The return journey, um, although it might take the same amount of time, Although it might be the same mileage, there's a sense that it's not quite so far. The mind plays a trick on you. And as you get closer to home, instead of thinking, how much further is it that I still have to go? You start recognising things. You can maybe hang on a bit longer until you use your own facilities. And instead of questions about, are we there? It's, I know where we are. It's a difference. In our passage from Mark, the journey is coming towards its conclusion. And for some, it might be a sense of coming home. And for others, it might be a sense of how much further. Jesus and the disciples have arrived at Jericho, which is not only where in the Old Testament Joshua and the Israelites blew trumpets and saw the walls collapse, and thought about how they were entering the promised land in God's strength. But by the time of Jesus had become sort of a last stop for pilgrims heading from the east before they arrive in Jerusalem. Depending on their time of arrival, you might spend the night. But then again, it's only another 18 miles, only another five and a half hours walk. You could soon be standing on the Mount of Olives. If you are walking through Jericho at this time of day, at 2011, you could probably be in Jerusalem long before the sun sets. So you might be tempted to keep going. This reading itself is a stopping off point just before the gospel writer leads us into Jerusalem. In Mark, this is the end of Jesus' earthly ministry period in where he's going to the rural towns and villages. 
Beyond this, it's Jerusalem. It's the holy city. It is Holy Week. The cry that we hear of blind Bartimaeus reveals something of what the next encounter in Mark's Gospel is. That cry, Jesus, son of David, has a a slight thing about those hosannas that we sang earlier in the service, doesn't it? Son of David. It's the cry that goes out. It's seeing him as the king. The Messiah that has been long promised is arriving. Though quite how that Messiah is to be is of course a struggle for many. This is the first time in Mark that the name for Jesus, son of David, has been used. And we, you know, we we far more associate that with either Matthew in his gospel or indeed the story of Palm Sunday. But it's not a crowd that's calling out son of David. That's calling out, have mercy on me, save me, Jesus. It's one man, a blind man. Yes, there's others there to see Jesus, but there is but Bartimaeus that's calling out and calling him king. The crowd does not join in with this shout. Instead, they rebuke the blind man. They tell him to be quiet. There they are, standing, waiting to welcome Jesus into the town. And the blind man is sat down, as he normally is, waiting for someone to help to throw a coin in his direction and they rebuke him the encounter is rather like what happened to the parents of children earlier in the chapter the parents were rebuked there was a hope for an encounter but initially Those around Jesus say no. But like that episode, Jesus urges him to come close. To come and meet. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus welcomes the outcast and the stranger. Jesus says... I can give you living water to the Samaritan woman at the well. He turns round and interacts with the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, who felt she couldn't ask for help, but only wanted to do something that wouldn't be seen, touching the cloak 
as he passed by. He welcomes in Luke's gospel, following on from the story of Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Those who are rejected by society are recognised by Jesus. And he welcomes them to come close and to be renewed. That the crowd tried to silence the man, tried to say, stop, you shut up. It suggests that they have not really seen Jesus. They've not recognised him. They don't understand who he is. They can physically see him, but spiritually they are the ones who are blind. They've just not got an idea of what is happening. And there may be times when we are like that. When we have our set ideas about how things should be in our life or maybe in the church. And it might be understandings that aren't really fitting with God's purpose. Other times that God's kingdom is being proclaimed and we go hush and rebuke the speaker. That we want things our way, not the way of the kingdom. When the crowd hear Jesus ask for the man to come, they suddenly almost change their tune. Cheer up, he's calling you. There was something inside tells me that, that this is said with a bit of a patronising voice. You know, cheer up. It doesn't ring true in what they're saying. It's as if all they expect is Jesus to give him a slight pat on the head and send him back to the street. But Bartimaeus responds in a more positive manner. Look at how the beggar reacts. The cloak is thrown off and he jumps up. The cloak is thrown off. Let's think of that. As the crowd passes, he's not standing. He's there, probably back against the wall, trying to keep out of the way. Sat down. He has little or no possessions. His cloak is his bed for the night. It is his warmth on a chilly day. It's the thing that he might pull up over his head if it rains. It's perhaps even how he catches coins or other things that are thrown in his direction. If he throws his cloak off, will this blind man be able to find it again? Is he giving up everything to come close to Jesus? 
He doesn't stand carefully, put things to the side. He doesn't wait to be led. He jumps up. He responds instantly. Do we jump up at a word from the Lord? Do we respond quickly? Do we wait for him to come to us? Or do we choose to approach even though that might be a tremendous challenge? It's not his eyes or the hands of the people in the crowd, but it's the faithfulness of Bartimaeus brings him forward that leads him through the crowd to the side of Jesus. And once there, the Lord asks him a very simple question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And it's asked in a compassionate way. A way that is full of love. What do you want? What, what is it that you want to happen in your life? You know, sometimes we might be afraid to express that in our prayers. We might scarf all around the edges... But Jesus asks the simple question, what do you want from me? What's the truth of that? And as I say, it's compassionate. He wants to give it. He wants to answer our prayers. Jesus doesn't ask him, what do you want? He doesn't ask it in an aggressive manner. And we likewise need to be considerate of our tone in asking of others and in our responses. We need to think of how when we talk, how do we express God's love for the world? How do we show that with our actions? Do our voices say that people are welcome, but at the same time we put a tone into it? Or use a bit of body language that says, actually, you're not. Do we give them a dirty look? Do we give them a scowl when things are not our way or otherwise indicate, you know? What do you want? Perhaps we make comments behind others' backs or use inappropriate language, not swearing, but say things that are not kind, that reveals that we are far from welcoming. Jesus welcomes. And his question gets a simple answer. And the one we might expect. I want to see. 
Was this what the crowd may have thought he wanted? Did they simply expect him to, to ask for money? They need to realise that Jesus, the man who stands before them, is bringing the kingdom. In Isaiah, we are told that in that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Here we are coming towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the words of the prophet are being revealed to be true. If the crowd knew that this was the power of Jesus, then when, when Bartimaeus called out, why did they rebuke him? Why did they tell him to be quiet? They couldn't see who Jesus was. That he had the great power to restore lives. But one man knew. The beggar who was blind. Go. Your faith has healed you, the beggar is told. And by faith, he receives physical sight. He's not earned his sight, he's not bought it. He is given it by the loving Jesus. And with that comes a new life for the man. No longer hidden at the side of the road, back against the wall, blanket covering him, a cloak, asking for handout. Now, here a new life begins. And here he starts to journey ahead following Jesus as someone who is healed who is restored who is made new in the words that Jesus says your faith has healed you that word for healing or making well in some translations also has the, uh, the meaning of the word saved. His faith has saved him. Saved him from the old life. Saved him from condemnation. Saved him to be with the Lord. And he follows and as he follows, that's not just tagging along as a spectator. It's not just going, oh, I wonder now that I can see what I actually will see. There's more to it than that. 
He's not simply someone else on the road to Jerusalem. But he is a follower of Jesus, a disciple. Bartimaeus has chosen to fully trust in Jesus and his life will never be the same. No more begging on the Jericho Street. No more exclusion by society. But instead, welcomed as a fellow follower. On our journey, our journey of life, our journey of faith, we have an important question to consider. We have to ask ourselves, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we seeing clearly the fullness of who Jesus would want us to be? Do we have vision of the signs of the coming of the kingdom? Do we live in a way that points it out to others that we meet? Are we there yet? Are we God's people? Or are we the crowd? Are we simply living as the people of Jericho, still a distance from the destination? A crowd that rebukes those who cry for help. Are we there? Do we trust in God such that we can throw off the blanket and live fully for him? Do we trust in God such that we are true disciples? Amen.